What if we could be younger, longer? Not years longer, but decades longer. What if those final years didn't actually look so terribly different from the years that came before them? And what if, by saving ourselves, we could also save the world? 64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker. Today we look at lifespan. Why we age and why we do not have to. By David Sinclair and Matthew LaPlante. So, how about you slow down and relax? Reduce all that noise for just a bit. Make that choice and decide to listen. In this video, we look at a book that asks questions about how we age and whether humans can actually overcome the decay and degeneration. We look at the most visionary book about aging, asking questions how to live longer and age slower questions around the science of aging from one of the most masterful longevity scientists of our time. So stick around. Till the end I will share with you some tools. I have a news that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. Growing old may seem a distant event, but every one of us will experience the end of life. After we draw our last breath, our cells will scream for oxygen, toxins will accumulate, chemical energy will be exhausted, and cellular structures will disintegrate. A few minutes later, all of that education, wisdom, memories that we cherished, and all of our future potential will be irreversibly erased. What if we could play as children do deeper into our lives without worrying about moving on to the things adults have to do so soon? What if all of the things we need to compress into our teenage years didn't need to be so compressed after all? What if you weren't so stressed in your 20s? What if we weren't feeling middle-aged in our 30s and 40s? What if in our 50s we wanted to reinvent ourselves and couldn't think of a single reason why we shouldn't? What if in our 60s we weren't fretting about leaving a legacy but simply beginning one. What if we didn't have to worry that the clock was ticking? And what if I told you that soon, very soon in fact, we won't? There's also a difference between extending life 
and prolonging vitality. We're capable of both, but simply keeping people alive decades after their lives have become defined by pain, disease, frailty, and immobility is no virtue. Prolonged vitality, meaning not just more years of life, but more active, healthy, and happy ones, is coming. And it's actually coming sooner than most people expect. If you are taken back by the notion that there is a singular cause of aging, you are not alone. If you haven't given any thought at all as to why we age, that's perfectly normal too. A lot of biologists haven't given it much thought either. Up until the second half of the 20th century, it was generally accepted that organisms grow old and then die for the good of the species. An idea that dates back to Aristotle, if not even further. This idea feels quite intuitive. It's the explanation proffered by most people at parties, but it is dead wrong. We do not die to make way for the next generation. Your genes, well, actually your ancestors' genes, benefited from building a robust, long-lasting body that could breed for decades, but in return, they could afford to raise only a couple of leans by ear. What is needed is a unified explanation of why we age, not just at the evolutionary level, but at the fundamental level. But explaining aging at a fundamental level is no easy task. There's never been a unified theory of aging, at least not one that has actually held up though not for lack of trying. Scientific discovery is never complete. It goes through predictable stages of evolution. When a theory succeeds at explaining previously unexplainable observations about the world, it becomes a tool that scientists can use to discover even more. Inevitably, however, a new discovery and new discoveries lead to new questions that are not entirely answerable by the theory, and then those questions beget more questions. Chaos is ultimately replaced by a paradigm shift, one in which a new consensus model emerges that can explain more than the previous model. In this more nuanced view, aging and the diseases that do come with it are the results of multiple hallmarks of aging. Genomic instability caused by DNA damage. <coughs> Attrition of the protective chromosomal end caps, the telomeres. Alterations to the epigenome that actually controls which genes are turned on and off. Loss of healthy protein maintenance, known as protostasis. Deregulated nutrient sensing caused by metabolic changes, mitochondrial dysfunction, accumulation of sense-sent zombie-like cells that inflame healthy cells, exhaustion of stem cells, and altered 
intercellular communication and the production of inflammatory molecules. Now, is there a singular reason for aging? Yes, singular reason for why we age. Aging, quite simply, is a loss of information. Now, there are two types of information in biology, and they are encoded entirely different. The first type of information is digital. Digital information, as you likely know, is based on a finite set of possible values. In this instance, it is not in base 2 or binary, coded in zeros and ones, but the sort that is quaternary or base 4, coded as adenine, tynine, cytosine, and guanine, the nucleotides ATCG of the DNA. Now, the other type of information in the body is analog. We don't hear much about analog information in the body. That is in part because it's newer to science and in part because it's rarely described in terms of information, even though that's how it was first described when geneticists noticed strange non-genetic effects in plants they were breeding. Today, analog information is more commonly referred to as the epigenome, meaning traits that are heritable, that aren't transmitted by genetic means. If the genome were a computer, the epigenome would be the software. It instructs the newly divided cells on what type of cells they should be and what they should remain, sometimes for decades, as in the case of individual brain neurons and certain immune cells. That's why a neuron doesn't one day behave like a skin cell, and a dividing kidney cell doesn't give rise to two liver cells. With epigenetic information, cells would quickly, without this information, they would lose their identity, and new cells would lose their identity too. <clears throat> and if they did, tissues and organs would eventually become less and less functional until they failed. <coughs> the other pathway is a metabolic controlled enzyme known as AMPK, which evolved to respond to low energy levels. It has also been highly conserved among species, and with cytines and TOR, we have learned a lot about how to control all of this. Here's the important point. There are plenty of stressors that will activate longevity genes without damaging the cell, including certain types of exercise, intermittent fasting, low-protein diet, and exposure to hot and cold temperatures. That's called hermesis. There are steps we can take right now to live much longer and much healthier lives. There are things we can do to slow, stop, and even reverse aspects of aging. But we need to answer one very important question. Should we? Aging, we've long been told, is simply the process of growing old. And growing old has long been seen as the inevitable part of life. We see aging, after all, in nearly everything around us, in particular the things around us that look 
They don't look anything like us, the cows, the pigs in our farms. They age, the dogs and cats in our homes. They age, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, the trees in the forest, the cells in our petri dish. It always ends the same way, dust to dust. <coughs> Some of the medical therapies in life-extending technologies discussed in this book are already here. Others are a few years away and there are more to discuss that are decades or so down the road, but even without access to these developing technologies, no matter who you are, where you live, how old you are and how much you earn, you can engage your longevity genes starting right now. That's what people have been doing for centuries without even knowing it in these Places such as Okinawa, Japan, Costa Rica, Sardinia, Italy, there are, you might recognize them, some of the places that the writer Dan Butner introduced to the world as so-called blue zones, starting in mid-2000s. Even if we do eat a low-protein, vegetable-rich diet, we may live longer, but we will not maximize our lifespans because putting our bodies into nutritional adversity isn't going to maximally trigger our longevity genes. We need to induce some physical activity too. Now, if that doesn't happen, we miss a key opportunity to trigger our survival circuits further. Like a beautiful sports car driven only a block and then back on a Sunday morning, our longevity genes will go tragically underutilized. <laughs> Exercise, by definition, is the application of stress to our bodies. It raises NAD levels, which in turn activate the survival network, which turns up energy production and then forces molecules to grow extra oxygen-carrying capillaries. The longevity legurators, AMPK, MTOR, and sirtuins are all modulated in the right direction by exercise, irrespective of calorie intake, building new blood vessels, improving heart and lung health, making people stronger, and yes, extending telomeres. As it turns out, exposing your body to less than comfortable temperatures is another way, effective way, to turn on your longevity genes. When the world takes us out of the thermoneutral zone, the small range of temperatures that do not require our bodies to do any extra work to stay warm or cool off, all sorts of things happen. Our breathing patterns shift, the blood flow to and through our skin, the largest organ in our body changes. Our heart rates speed up or slow down. These reactions aren't happening just because. <clears throat> By engaging our body's survival mechanisms, in the absence of real adversity, we will push our lifespans far beyond what we can today. And what will be the best way to do this? Could it be a souped-up AMPK activator? A TOR inhibitor, a stack or an NAD booster, or a combination of them with intermittent fasting and high-intensity interval training, the potential permutations are virtually endless. The future looks interesting, to say the least. If we can fix the toughest to fix, 
and regenerate the toughest to regenerate cells in our body. There's really no reason to suspect we cannot regrow any type of cells our bodies actually need. The ethics of the technology become more difficult, though, if reprogramming becomes safe enough to use in a way that is preventative, at what age should it be given? Does a disease have to appear before an antibiotic activator or reprogramming is actually prescribed? If mainstream doctors refuse to help, will people help head overseas? If the technology could significantly cut healthcare cost, should it be mandatory? And if we can help children live longer, healthier lives, do we then have a moral obligation to do so? There are 3.234 billion base pairs or letters in the human genome. In 1990, when the Human Genome Project was launched, it cost about $10 to read just one letter in the genome, A, G, C, or T. The entire project took 10 years, thousands of scientists, and cost a few billion dollars. And that was for one genome. Today, I can read an entire human genome of 25,000 genes in a few days for less than $100 on a candy bar-sized DNA sequencer called Minion that I actually plug into my laptop. And that's for a fairly complete readout of the human genome plus the DNA metamarkers that actually tell you your biological age. Our watches monitor our heart rate, measure our sleep cycles, and can even provide suggestions for food intake and activity. Athletes and health-conscious individuals are increasingly wearing sensors 24 hours a day that actually monitor the ways in which their vital signs and major chemicals are rising and falling in response to the diet, to stress, to training, to competition. As just about anyone with diabetes or HIV can attest, blood sugar and blood cell monitoring are exceptionally easy and increasing painless affairs these days with non-invasive and minimally evasive monitoring technologies even more available, more affordable, and more accurate. Technology like this has been around for some time. I suppose for people like Bruce Wayne and James Bond now, it costs a few hundred dollars and can be ordered by anyone online. There is no sense in trying to convince people that there is nothing to worry about. Of course that there are things to worry about. Things. You think having your credit card data stolen is bad? That's really nothing. You can always call the bank, get a new credit card. But your medical records, they're permanent. And they're far more personal. More than 110 million medical records were breached in the United States between 2000 and 2018. We already trade a tremendous amount of privacy for technological services. We do it all the time. Most people, upon coming to the realization that longer human lives are imminent, also quickly recognize that such a transition cannot possibly occur without significant social, 
political and economic change. And they are right. There can be no evolution without disruption. A new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light. Planck wrote this shortly before his death in 1947, but rather because its opponents eventually die, and then a new generation grows up that is actually familiar with it. If you were a member of an American upper middle class in the 1970s, you weren't just enjoying a more affluent life, you actually had a longer one too. Those in the top half of the economy were living an average of 1.2 more years than those in the bottom half. By the early 2000s, the difference had actually increased dramatically. Those in the upper half of the income spectrum could expect nearly six additional years of life. And by 2018, the divide had widened even further, with the richest 10% of Americas living actually 13 more years of life than the poorest 10%. The impact of this disparity cannot be overstated. Just by living longer, the rich are getting richer. And of course, by getting richer, they are living longer. The tragedy of the commons is that humans are not very good at taking personal action to solve collective problems. The trick to revolutionary change is finding ways to make self-interest align with the common good. And there you have it. Lifespan, why we age and why we do not have to. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video. Like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it. Share it too and spread the word. Do leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. You know how to do this. And the link to this book is in the description below. So you buy it and you read and you never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free humanist test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.